Hi there, and welcome back to Out There, a cryptid podcast. I'm your host, Josh. On the 13th of each month, I come out with a new episode focused on cryptids that I find super fascinating and weird. And if you still don't know what a cryptid is, it is defined as an animal that has been claimed to exist, but never proven to exist. Cryptids don't have to be supernatural or mythical beings, although many of them are. Some cryptids have actually become documented animals. Make sure you go and follow the podcast on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, and check out the posts I make for each episode, and maybe send some suggestions you'd like to hear. Because this is our first full episode back in a very long time, I wanted to start with a bang. Today's cryptid is probably the most famous water-based cryptid ever. A cryptid that inhabits a lake with the same name. That's right, we are talking about the Loch Ness Monster. There's no Weird Club segment today, just me. Let's dive in. The Loch Ness Monster is probably the second most famous cryptid of them all. A beast with sightings galore and fame stretching all the way back to the 500s. But before we get into sightings, let's talk about the lake itself. The word Loch is Scottish Gaelic for lake. Loch Ness is located in the Scottish Highlands and goes on for 23 miles. It covers about 685 square miles, which is about 80 square miles less than the city of London. It contains more water than all the lakes in England and Wales combined. So yeah, it's massive. It's a freshwater lake that reaches depths of about 745 feet. The water visibility is exceptionally low due to a high peat content in the surrounding soil, meaning that it would be very easy for a large sea creature to be living there. The loch is located in the Scottish Highlands, which is about four hours north of Edinburgh. Scotland is full of rich history dating back to the first century, but the first account of the Loch Ness Monster wasn't until the sixth century. 565 AD. In the journal titled Life of St. Columba, written by Adomnan, a story that describes a strange occurrence in the lake can be found. The Irish monk St. Columba was staying near where Loch Ness is now. He met some locals that had just buried a man by the river Ness. They said that the man was swimming in the river when he was attacked by a water beast that mauled him and dragged him underwater despite their attempts to rescue him by boat. So, Columba decided to find this creature for himself. He made one of his followers swim across the river while he followed in a boat. And just as he had hoped, the monster began to approach the swimming man. Columba made the sign of the cross and said, Go no further. Do not touch the man. Go back at once. The creature pulled back as if it was attached by ropes and quickly disappeared. First off, can we talk about how this man just picked a follower of his to risk his life? Like, yikes. But this was the last written known sighting for another 1,300 years. In October of 1871 or 72, a man named D. Mackenzie of Balmain reported seeing an object in the lock that looked like a log or an upturned boat. He claimed that it was wiggling and churning up the water and slowly moving before it 
disappeared quickly under the water. However, this sighting wasn't written about until 1934, when Mackenzie wrote a letter to another man named Rupert Gauld after multiple people came forward with more sightings. Before then, there was another sighting in 1888. A mason named Alexander MacDonald spotted what he called a large stubby-legged animal. It broke the surface of the water and then swam about 50 yards at a rapid speed. McDonald said that it looked something like a salamander, but when the 1930s rolled around, sightings of the creature became much more frequent, including a sighting with a very famous photo. May 2nd, 1933. An article titled, Strange Spectacle in Loch Ness, appeared in the Inverness Courier that described Aldi McKay's sighting of a large beast, or whale-like fish. The author of the piece, Alex Campbell, interviewed McKay about her sighting. McKay claims to have seen an enormous creature with the body of a whale rolling in the water in the loch, while she and her husband, John, were driving on the A-82 on April 15, 1933. This article was the first mention of the word monster when talking about this unknown creature. Here is an excerpt of the article. The creature disported itself, rolling and plunging for fully a minute, its body resembling that of a whale, and the water cascading and churning like a simmering cauldron. Soon, however, it disappeared in a boiling mass of foam. Both onlookers confessed that there was something uncanny about the whole thing, for they realized that here was no ordinary denizen of the depths, because apart from its enormous size, the beast, in taking the final plunge, sent out waves that were big enough to have been caused by a passing steamer. What's more is that in the article, Campbell writes that the Loch Ness has for generations been credited with being the home of a fearsome-looking monster, but this is only the beginning for sightings within this decade. Now, all of these sightings have described a similar being that is always seen in the water, but then in July of that same year, a crazy report came out. A couple saw it on land. July 22nd, 1933. George Spicer and his wife were driving along the lock when they saw a most extraordinary form of animal right in front of their car. The Spicer said that it had a large body that was about four feet tall and 25 feet long. It had a very long, narrow neck that was somewhat wavy. It was slightly thicker than an elephant's trunk and as long as 10 to 12 feet. However, they didn't see any limbs. It moved across the road about 20 yards in front of them. Spicer said the nearest approach to a dragon or prehistoric animal that I have ever seen in my life. They also said that it had some type of animal in its mouth. Spicer finished with saying it was fairly big with a high back but if there were any feet, they must have been of the web kind. And as for a tail, I cannot say. 
as it moved so rapidly, and when we got to the spot it had probably disappeared into the lock. Okay, so this sighting gives us probably the most detailed idea of this creature. Plus, it allows us to see that it isn't just a water monster. It has the ability to move about on land, which arguably makes it more terrifying because now there's really no escaping it. We also get an idea of what the animal eats. It's definitely a carnivore since it was holding that animal in its mouth. But the question that is brought up with this is, was it bringing food back for other monsters just like it? When the article was published on August 4th, it was the first time the name the Loch Ness Monster was used. One theory as to why the year 1933 was full of sightings was because early that year there was a road built along the loch, which brought people to what used to be a fairly isolated place. But with all of these sightings, no one has hard evidence to prove what they have all been seeing. That is, until November 12th. A man named Hugh Gray claimed to have taken a photo of the monster near Foyers. Gray was out for a walk with his Labrador when he saw something moving in the water, so he took out his camera and snapped the photo. It's definitely blurry, but depicts something large and serpent-like in the water. Now, skeptics have said that it looks like a dog in the water. Others have said it's an otter or a swan. But in 1963, a zoologist named Maurice Burton found two lantern slides contact positives from the original negative because the negatives were lost. But when they looked at the projection, they claimed it was an otter rolling at the surface in characteristic fashion. So sadly, this photo has been ruled out and debunked. Sightings didn't stop there, though. On January 5th, 1934, author Grant was riding his motorcycle near the northeastern end of the loch when he hit something that he claimed to have been the Loch Ness Monster. It was about one in the morning. Grant said that it had a small head attached to a long neck. The creature saw him and crossed the road back to the loch. Grant was a veterinarian student at the time, so he was able to say it specifically looked like a cross between a seal and a plesiosaur. After hitting the creature, he said that he followed it back into the loch but could only see ripples in the water from where it must have gotten in. Grant made a sketch of what he saw that night. Burton, the zoologist from the gray photo, examined the sketch and said that it was consistent with the appearance and behavior of an otter. Even a paleontologist named Darren Naish agreed that the long neck spotted could have been an exaggeration due to the shock of the event and the darkness of the night. However, others have said that the sketch drawn soon after the event looks nothing like an otter and much more like a prehistoric dinosaur. So now we have a good amount of sightings, one photo that may have been debunked, and one sketch that also somehow may have been debunked. But what we are about to get is probably what each and every one of us has been waiting for. The most famous photo of the Loch Ness Monster. April 21st, 1934. The Daily Mail published a photo taken by Robert Kenneth Wilson, a London gynecologist of the Loch Ness Monster. It is supposedly the first photo of the creature's head and neck. It was named the surgeon's photograph because Wilson 
didn't want to have his name associated with the picture. Wilson claims that when visiting the lock one day, he was looking out on the water when the monster appeared. He quickly grabbed his camera and took four photos. Only two of them came out clearly, but both showed something extraordinary. A small head and back of some unknown species. The second photo showed the same creature, but in a diving position. The first one is the photo that became the picture that defined the Loch Ness Monster. Now, I know you have seen this photo before. I would say it's just as famous as the Patterson-Gimlin film of Bigfoot. I mean, that is Nessie, right? This was what everyone was waiting for. Definitive proof that the monster was real. Now, there is one thing that was always up for debate, and that was the scale of the photo. It was most of the time produced in a cropped format, so it made the scale seem much larger than what the original photo shows. And this is where the skepticism really kicks in. In the uncropped picture, specialists said that the ripples in the photo were found to fit the size and pattern of small ripples, rather than large waves photographed up close. So, okay, maybe this was a baby monster, or it's just a smaller than expected? But then, in 1993, the creators from Discovery Communications were making their documentary titled Loch Ness Discovered. And when they did their analysis, they found a white object visible in every version of the photo, meaning that it would also have been seen on the negative. What they believe is whatever that white object is, is what is causing the ripples in the water. They also estimate that the object in this photo is about two to three feet long. In 1999, a book titled Nessie, the Surgeon's Photograph Exposed came out. It features an article from the Sunday Telegraph that explained how the famous photo was, in fact, an elaborate hoax. A pretty dramatic story. The article was published on December 7th, 1975. The creature in the image was actually a toy submarine built by Christian Sperling, the son-in-law of Marmaduke Wetherill. Now, the thing about Wetherill is that he was publicly ridiculed by the Daily Mail, which also was where he worked, because he claimed to have found Nessie footprints, which were in fact a hoax. Wetherill wanted revenge on the Daily Mail, so he brought Sperling in because he is a sculptor specialist. But he also had his son, Ian Wetherill, buy the material and then Maurice Chambers in as well. The monster was actually a toy submarine with a clay-sculpted neck. They first tested it in a lake near their house before going to the lock. They took their photos, but when they heard a water bailiff coming, Wetherill sank it with his foot, so it is most likely somewhere at the bottom of the lock still to this day. Okay, phew, that was a lot. Let's keep tracking along the timeline. So on May 29th, 1938, a South African tourist named G.E. Taylor caught on camera what he believed was the Loch Ness Monster. The video is about three minutes on a 16 millimeter color film camera. Now, the thing is that the video was bought by a science author named Maurice Burton, 
who has never shown the film, but a still from the video was published in 1961. It shows some sort of dark object coming out of the water. It is hard to say really what it is, but it does somewhat look like an alligator's head. But that's just my personal opinion. But other skeptics have said that it is just debris floating along. Most people were just looking for answers and hoping that there really was some kind of creature living in the waters. However, not everyone was looking for it as peacefully as others. Chief Constable of Inverness Shire, William Fraser, wrote a letter dated August 15, 1938, that spoke of a monster hunt. Fraser 100% believed the Loch Ness Monster was real, and he was concerned. Concerned because he got word of a hunting party that had made a custom harpoon gun in order to catch the creature dead or alive. This letter wasn't released until April 27, 2010 by the National Archives of Scotland. Now, we have to jump forward in the timeline because there really wasn't much activity reported about Nessie until the mid-50s. So, in December of 1954, there were apparently sonar scans taken that showed a large object keeping pace with the vessel at a depth of 479 feet. It followed the boat for about 2,600 feet before disappearing. Unfortunately, there are no photos of the sonar, but this is the first time anyone supposedly found something that wasn't inconclusive or negative. There was definitely something there. Now, there was another photo taken a year later that was unfortunately the opposite. On July 29, 1955, Peter McNabb caught what he believes is the monster in a photograph. It shows two long black humps in the water with the famous Urquhart Castle in the background. An author named Roland Bynes said the phenomenon which McNabb photographed could easily be a wave effect resulting from three trawlers traveling closely together up the lock. But after the negatives were compared to the photo, it was clear that it was doctored. The tree at the bottom left corner was missing from the negative. That unfortunately means that it was not real. But then five years later, a video was filmed that changed everything. 1960, an aeronautical engineer named Tim Dinsdale went to search for the Loch Ness Monster. On his final day of an investigation, he caught a hump that moved through the water and left a wake behind him. Dinsdale described it as reddish with a blotch on its side. As soon as he set up his camera, he looked up and saw the creature in the water. He was able to get about 40 feet of film, which is about three minutes of film. Then, in 1993, in the documentary Loch Ness Discovered, they digitally enhanced the film. When they did this, they noticed a shadow in the negative that was not obvious in the developed film. This shadow appeared to be the rear body of a creature underwater. The digital expert said, Before I saw the film, I thought the Loch Ness Monster was a load of rubbish. Having done the enhancement, I'm not so sure. Finally, we have some real solid evidence. Now, 
The video is grainy because it is from the 60s, but still, it clearly shows something moving in the water. You can also see some of the body following behind. It is still pretty vague, but hey, at least it wasn't completely debunked. This and all of the other sightings sparked the Loch Ness Phenomena Investigation Bureau to be created. It was active from 1962 to 1972. Their purpose was to study Loch Ness, to identify the creature known as the Loch Ness Monster, or determine the cause of reports of it. The group held many expeditions to search for proof. One expedition did turn up some evidence that might be the most compelling thus far. On one expedition, the team paired up with the U.S.-based Academy of Applied Sciences, or the AAS. The team set up an underwater camera that caught something incredible. Around 2,000 photos were taken and immediately rushed to the U.S. to be developed. They were developed under strictly controlled conditions so that there would be no mistakes if any of the photos contained proof. When the photos were clear, two of them showed what looks like either two giant diamond-shaped flippers, one in each of two photos, or the same flipper captured at different angles in the two photos. The photos were taken about four feet away from the camera, which means that the fins were anywhere from four feet to eight feet long. I really do think that these photos show something larger than a regular fish in the lock. I mean, when you look at the supposed fins, they look exactly like what you would believe to belong to either a monster or a prehistoric creature, which we will get into during the explanations section. But this isn't the end of the compelling piece of evidence, because this next one might be the best one. June 1972. Bobby Rines, a world-renowned inventor who holds most of the patents for sonar used today, was on the lock searching for proof of the monster living there. He saw a giant hump like the back of an elephant in the lake about four to five feet out of the water. It was gray and the texture was a cross between an elephant and a whale. The creature swam up into the bay and then turned around before completely submerging and disappearing. Rhines estimated it to be about 20 feet long, but that was just the beginning for Rhines. He spent the next 20 years searching the lock, and only three years later, he would catch something crazy on sonar. His colleague, Charles W. Wyckoff, joined in the search. Wyckoff was in charge of redesigning the photographic equipment and developing the underwater lighting and reading the pictures for signs of life. Thousands of photos were taken, but six of them contained significant data depicting parts of the creature. Wyckoff said, I became a firm believer after that, but one of the photos shows something incredible. It shows what appears to be the upper torso, neck, and head of a large aquatic animal. You have to go and look at this photo because, wow, I mean, that is simply a monster. The exact monster everyone had been describing. I mean, come on. The TV show Monster Quest had an expert analyze the photos, and he said that he could not find any evidence of tampering, meaning that whatever is in that picture was really there. 
it's unclear what it actually is, because in the next frame, it was gone. But still, I mean, that is Nessie right there. This photo gave people new hope after all of these hoaxes and misidentifications. But that doesn't mean the hoaxes were done. So you remember way, way back the Owlman episode? If you don't, go back and listen. But there was a main person involved in all of those sightings. And remember how I mentioned he was involved in a major hoax about another cryptid? Well, here he is again. On May 21st, 1977, Anthony Doc Shields said while he was camping at the Urquhart Castle, he shot some photos of the lock. Being a magician and self-proclaimed psychic, Doc Shields summoned the animal out of the water. He described it as looking like an elephant squid, and that's what he went with, saying that the Loch Ness Monster was really a new species that would be something similar to an elephant and a squid. Now, this picture became so popular and famous for a tad, but the fame didn't last long when experts noticed zero ripples around the creature, meaning that it seemed to be staged. Next on the timeline is what is known as Operation Deep Scan. So in 1987, 24 boats were equipped with echo-sounding equipment that were deployed across the width of the lock and simultaneously sent acoustic waves. Now, a BBC News article claimed that the crew did in fact make contact with an unidentified object of unusual size and strength. The object was large and moving at a depth of 590 feet near Urquhart Bay. Sonar expert Darnell Lawrence, founder of Lawrence Electronics, said, There's something here that we don't understand. and There's something here that's larger than a fish. Maybe some species that hasn't been detected before. I don't know. So it seems like now we are getting to a point where we have evidence for Nessie being real, and then we also have a lot of hoaxes that add a lot of suspicion. In 2005, Monster Quest's team had a 12-day expedition with Rhines as head investigator. During their search, they sonared the lock and didn't find anything. Their theory is that the monster could have died, and now they should be looking for the carcass. So, they found 105 possible search locations where they thought a body could be. When they investigate one place, they find what looks like a carcass of something massive. The image from the episode looks like an algae-covered big shape with a narrow neck. However, they were not able to fully identify if it was, in fact, the monster or anything else. In this episode, they also interviewed a man who caught something extraordinary. May 24th, 2007. Gordon Holmes saw something moving in the water, so he ran back to his car and got his camera. He explained that this jet black thing about 460 feet long, moving fairly fast in the water, appeared. The video is about two minutes long, but the most interesting part is that when reviewing the film, Holmes saw the second monster following just above the one he spotted. That's right, two Nessies. This is the first time we have had evidence of multiple monsters. Adrian Shine, a marine biologist, said the video is probably the best footage he had ever seen. So with this, 
there was renewed hope in the mystery being solved. More and more people traveled to the lock and more expeditions occurred as well. But this also came with another hoax. So in August 2012, a skipper named George Edwards claimed to have taken a photo of the back of the beast coming out of the water. However, it was a hoax and he had actually made a hump to place in the water. So just when we get a good piece of evidence, another person wants to ruin the fun. Okay, I swear we are coming to an end, but we do have one more supposed video. Now, this video is interesting. So on August 27th, 2013, a tourist named David Elder showed a five-minute video he claims is the Loch Ness Monster. There was a wave that was formed seemingly out of nowhere. It was about 15 feet long, and he claims you can see a solid black object right under the surface. However, a lot of skeptics say it's just a wind gust. Then, about a year later, the world went crazy because Apple Maps may have caught a picture of the monster. Now, I couldn't include it on the Instagram because we maxed out on the number of posts, so just go look it up. It appears to be a large creature just below the surface of the water. It is at the far north end, and it looked to be about 98 feet long. However... If you looked it up, I am sure you saw that this is believed to be a boat. So basically, the way the satellite took the photos, it seems that it caught the wakes of the boat, but the boat didn't make it into the frame since it was on the move. Now, I don't know how all the fancy stuff works, but when a boat is put on top of the supposed monster, it does fit perfectly. Okay, before I get into possible explanations, there have been more recent sightings as well. All are mainly small specks of something in the lock. If you visit the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register, LochNessMonsterSighting.com, they have put together a great list of the sightings with the photos as well. But I think it's about time we get to the possible explanations of what people for centuries have been seeing. So like I said, we used up all the space for the posts on this one, so sadly I can't include images of all of this, but I'll tell you when to go and look things up. So, let's break this up into some categories. Misidentification of known animals, misidentifications of inanimate objects, and my favorite, a dinosaur that may not have gone extinct. Let's get through the usual animal suspects. Sandhill Crane first. No, I'm just kidding, not this one. <laughs> but some have said that wakes from birds have caused confusion. The lock is very calm waters, unless disturbed. So when there is a disturbance in the middle of the lock with no boats or wind, some say it is from a bird flying off before the person can see them. I think it might account for some, but not the ones we've covered here. Next is a personal favorite, elephants. Some have said that traveling circuses might have allowed elephants to bathe in the lock. The trunk could be perceived as the head and the neck, with the head and back being perceived as the humps. But I'm just going to rule this one out, because it's way too far-fetched. Like, I'd believe it was an actual monster before this one. But I just had to mention it. Another possible animal is actually very convincing. So otters have been seen in the lock, and when you look at some pictures of them swimming, it does look like three humps in the water. Now, it is possible that a group of them could be mistaken for something much larger. I have to say, this is very, very convincing. 
However, there is some evidence that may rule this one out, at least for the more recent years. Now, some fish that could be the culprits are catfish, sturgeons, Greenland sharks, but none of these were known to live in the lake, nor were they ever seen there. The common fish were brown trout and salmon, but those don't grow to any size similar to a monster. But the plot twist of all of this is that in 2018, a scientific team consisting of many researchers around Europe performed a DNA survey of the lock. The results came out a year later and revealed that there was no DNA found from large fish such as sharks, sturgeons, and catfish to be found. No otter or seal DNA was found either, but there was a lot of eel DNA. So eels do range in size, but the largest species of eel is the European conger. They average around 5 feet long and weigh nearly 159 pounds, but the largest one was 9.8 feet long and weighed 350 pounds. The eels don't have scales, but they usually appear gray. They can also be blackish. The head of the DNA study, Professor Neil Gemmel of the University of Otago, said he could not rule out the possibility of eels of extreme size, though none were found nor were any ever caught. He went on to say no evidence of any reptilian sequences were found. He added, So I think we can be fairly sure that there is probably not a giant scaly reptile swimming around Loch Ness. Okay, this one will be fast, but let's go over the misidentification of inanimate objects. These objects include trees, wakes from wind, boats, or animals, and even optical illusions. Obviously, it is totally possible for a fallen tree to make it into the lock, and therefore there could be a piece of wood floating around looking like a monster. Sure, but I think that would be figured out fairly quickly, so I say we can rule this out. We already talked about bird wakes, but boat wakes and wind is definitely possible. I don't think that it makes up for the objects in the pictures people have taken, but definitely some sightings could be caused by this. The optical illusion is kind of dumb if you ask me, but I guess it's also possible that the water looks like something it isn't. And... For the best one yet, the prehistoric creature that escaped the asteroid. The plesiosaur ruled the waters during the Cretaceous period, which was about 145.5 million years ago, to 60 million years ago. The plesiosaur was a long-necked aquatic reptile. Remains have been found on almost every continent, so it is most likely that they could have lived on where the lock is now. There were different species of plesiosaurs that ranged in shapes and sizes, but they typically had a long neck, a broad body, a short tail, and four paddle-like limbs. Now here's one thing. They had lungs, not gills, meaning it would have to come up to the surface for air. But when you hear this, I'm sure you're picturing their long necks coming out of the water like the hoaxes all showed. But... Archaeologists believe that plesiosaurs didn't have the bone structure to hold up their long necks for long periods of time, so theoretically that wouldn't be possible, which I think supports the snake-like videos we have seen because they would just pop their head out almost like a crocodile does, 
But it is possible that evolution occurred and they grew more strength in their necks, and maybe the ability to walk on land more like a seal. Professor Adrian Hall at Fettis College in Edinburgh said it is possible that at some time about 14,000 years ago, there could have been a time window when a marine life would have been able to get into the lock from the Atlantic Ocean. This was proven possible when a marine shell was found in the lock, so that means that the North Sea most likely merged with the lake. Now, that would mean that the creature would have to be around 14,001 years old. Unless, of course, babies were born and generations kept going. But maybe these plesiosaurs evolved to breathe for longer underwater or better ways to not be seen coming up for air. I have to say, I am biased because I think I will always believe in the Loch Ness Monster because, you know, it's an OG cryptid. But I do see that it is very possible that it could be mistaken for otters or even eels. So hopefully one day there will be irrefutable evidence to prove Nessie is still swimming in the loch. So what do you think? Is the Loch Ness Monster really out there? We are on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, so make sure to follow us and tell us all of your thoughts on the cryptids we cover and what you'd like to hear next. It would mean a lot to us if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It's a great way for others to find the podcast and enjoy, just like you. One month from today, I will be covering a cryptid that each and every one of us may have. Another form of us. That, if seen, may cause death. The doppelganger. See you next month. This episode was written and hosted by me, Josh, with logo design by Jason Sykes and theme music from purpleplanet.com.